You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings to all our listeners. Welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio. It is Sunday, the 1st of January, 2023. The time now is coming up to 10.03. I hope you can listen, uh, you can hear. Uh, this is 1st January, 2023. That, uh, welcome to the Weekend World Show with Asan Ahmadi. Wishing all our listeners a very happy and peaceful New Year. Listening to Voice of Islam on DAB Radio, mobile or online, 24 hours a day. Broadcasting live from the Bethel Fathu Mosque in Morden. The Weekend World Show is a current affairs show the week, with the week's news, views and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective, promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, sports and topics of faith and enlightenment. The message of Islam for the West. Join us and share your views on or your stories by phoning us on 0208 687 7878 or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. Co-hosting with me as usual is Walid Ahmed, the Chief Librarian at the Beth of Fatou Mosque here in Morden Mosque, the UK's largest mosque. Also joining us uh, will be guests to share their views and their stories and, uh, and their views on issues on religion and faith. Walid, uh, good mm. morning. Assalamu alaikum. Happy Salam New Year. Alaikum. Happy New Year to you as well. Yes, uh, it's another day really, isn't it? It's another day, but uh, we do um, uh, do certain things on this day that we would not uh, do every, uh, every day. Is that right? Oh, yes. So uh, today, as you know, in uh, all the mosques, people gathered for early morning prayers, the especially. Tahaj- yes, yes, it's called the Tahajjad prayer, the very special yes. prayers, yes. And then it's it's a good bre- way of starting, isn't it? Yes, and yeah. then we had a breakfast afterwards as well. Oh, really? But because <laughs> I'm looking after my figure, I did not have any. You, I, mean, <laughs> you look after your figure. I, I came home. You're not came, trying to get beach ready, are you? <laughs> I came home to get my Rasul Malai. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. From your wife, I know what Rasul Malai that was. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, um, yes, um, and then uh, um, we also, I think, a lot of the youth do go around cleaning this uh, uh, town centres because of, of the rubbish. Because of the after, aftermath of mm. the celebration, mm. the mess that is made, and mm. uh, the public services are not working mm. on New Year's Day. So yeah. Yeah. it's a good way of engaging the youth yes. to do something positive for the mm. community. In fact, for me, I, I find that exercise of anything to do with engaging your members and particularly the youth into doing something good for your Mm. community it makes them loyal to that nation it develops that it doesn't make them it develops that uh, Mm. uh, love for your nation Mm -hmm. Uh, as does good education as does uh, being good Mm. to your neighbors Mm. being good to others so all of these are all attributes anyway uh, Benjamin Franklin the founding father of the United States he said, <clears throat> be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better man. Mm. Okay, I mean, these are Islamic principles, are they not? Yeah, yes. It's a shame that when he talks about peace with your neighbors, his nation did not adhere to that at all. No. And it caused so much uh, strife and turmoil in uh, in. Uh, in its neighbors, uh, in nations nearby. Uh, and prompting others mm. uh to do the same. Mm. Um, we look at 
what happened in Vietnam. We, mm. we look at uh, the, some of the proxy wars that are taking mm. place where America seems to be the instigator of funding mm. arms and, 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 mm. and developing relations. And then we, we look at the plight of the Palestinians. Without the support of America, Israel will not be able to do what uh, it uh, unfortunately does to the Palestinian yes, people. It's all right, it's all right. <coughs> so that's very, very bad. But uh, when it says be at war with vices, when mm. it says you're quite right about Islamic principles because that reminds me of jihad. Indeed. That is what uh, jihad is it, all about. That's exactly uh, what jihad yes, is, absolutely. Uh, about um, uh, trying to eliminate the um, e- evils or the, the negative uh, behavior that you may have. The jihad enoughs, as mm. the Holy Prophet, mm. uh, peace and blessings, well have been upon him, put it. Yes, yes. So, uh, a very profound state, very wise, uh, very wise, wise man. Uh, have have that uh, prin- those principles been lost in in today's world, where materialism and uh, I would even say hedonism yes. has taken over these those principles, and mm. which has subdued these good values. Mm. Yes, I mean, I certainly have. I mean, we were talking about this uh, earlier. I think um, when we did the last year about people losing interest in religion, people uh, losing interest in uh, moral values. Mm. And that, uh, you know, that has a kickback on uh, on so many, so so much of our conduct. Absolutely. And in fact, when alcohol is abundant, Mm. they say that the greatest number of uh, domestic violence cases, rape cases, uh, occur through Mm. that as well. Mm. And, And New Year is now synonymous with excessive drinking. Yes. Um, so um, it's a, it's um, a worrying state. It is. Yes. We have a very good piece at the uh, later in the show, um, okay. and uh, uh, and we'll cover that in a minute. Mm-hmm. So tell us what else have we got on the show today? Well, we will start off the show uh, with a news review as usual, and looking at the sad death of Pope Benedict, and also uh, the latest UN Assembly resolution for ICJ to determine that out, the, uh, the outcome of. Uh, Israel's illegal occupations. We will then be joined by our French voice of uh, uh, Maruch Araf, who will give her take on the situation of women in Iran, Afghanistan, and the West. Yes, uh, a lot of persecution we hear in the news of women in Iran and Afghanistan, but also in the West we know yes. what uh, women's rights of Muslim women particularly yeah, yeah. are being taken away by the West, yes, and uh, so right. we need to address yeah. that as well. Uh, after the 11 o'clock news? Well, <coughs> with the new year uh, hearkening in, uh, Dr. Farid will uh, join us to discuss about the new year, and if January the 1st is common in all cultures and nations, so inshallah, God winning, we will, uh, he will give us uh, a lowdown on how new year is celebrated in different parts of the world. Okay, and the sports section uh, after that? Well, we will have a special segment after the sad demise of arguably the best footballer to grace uh, the uh, football pitch, Edson Arantes de Nascimento, uh, famously known as uh, Simply Pele. Uh, uh, joining us uh, for that part will be Shahid and also uh, Ashad Hamdi, who had the good fortune of seeing him live and uh, we'll be discussing how Pele played his part in world football, both on and off the field. Yes, he wasn't just a footballer, I think, and that's what makes him great, in my mm. view. He w- he went beyond that, and mm. he was, you know, like Muhammad Ali, uh, he's the, probably the most famous mm. person 
uh, in sports. Um, mm. A decent individual, yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm. <coughs> um, that's great, Willie. Thank yep. you very much. Inshallah, uh, God willing, an interesting show in store for our listeners. Anyone eager to comment or share their views can do so by phoning 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Voice of Islam on DAB Radio, mobile or live stream on voiceofislam.co.uk forward slash live. This is the Weekend World Show with Hassan Ahmadi. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. So we are now going to go through our first segment of the show, which is, of course, the news review. Willie. Weekend World. Look at this week's news, <coughs> views and reviews. must tell our listeners, really, that both of us are suffering a little bit uh, of a cold. Mm. Uh, there's, there's one that's going around and there's a lot of COVID risk, uh, links yeah. as well. Yeah. So people should take care. Yes. Um, and if they are uh, in doubt, please contact the doctors or uh, the NHS yes. uh, and uh, get it seen to so that it doesn't mm. become a serious case. Some people have been hospitalized, so be careful. Uh, everyone should uh, take care. Right, Willie, uh, um, the Guardian has reported, so noble, so kind, Pope Francis leads tributes to Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, Pope Francis called former Pope Benedict XVI a noble, kind man who was a gift to the Church of the world in his first public comments since the death of his predecessor earlier on Saturday in St. Peter's Basilica. What else do they say? Well, they quote uh, what Sir Francis, uh, what uh, Pope Francis said. He said, it is with emotion that we remember his person, so noble, so kind, and we feel in our hearts such gratitude gratitude to God for having gifted him to the church and the world. Political and religious leaders around the world paid tribute to Pope Benedict XVI after his death was announced on Saturday. Yes, uh, President Joe Biden, also a devout uh, Catholic himself, said the Pope Emeritus, who stunned the Roman Catholic Church when he retired almost 10 years ago, would, he said, quote, be remembered as a renowned theologian uh, with a lifetime of devotion to the church guided by his principles and faith. Hmm. What else uh, Biden said? Yes, he also said, uh, uh, President Biden also said, may his focus on the Ministry of Charity continue to be an inspiration to us. And the resignation, the first by Pontiff since 1415, is likely to be remember, remembered as his most defining act. Yes, uh, I mean, uh, any leader of a holy... Uh, organization uh, for church, uh, particularly the Pope, has a probably the largest following of a single faith mm. Mm. Uh, or, or, or f- uh, a sect within a faith. Mm. Um, by far, you've got the whole of South America, most of Europe is, is Roman mm. Catholic, even in Asia, and uh, you, you see the, the large following. So, he's a, an, an important person, and uh, indeed, they are um, very pious leaders um, mm. so Islam teaches us to be very respectful to them yes uh, Islam teaches us to be very respectful to um, um, such leaders you're quite right mm. um, and um, uh, rightly so because uh, although we would not agree with everything as far as uh, the religious aspects of uh, what they do and mm. what they believe 
but we certainly do respect them. And I'm reminded of this this verse in the Holy Quran about uh, those uh, uh, people, whoever they are, uh, Christians, Jews, or Sabians, if uh, they uh, uh, believe in God and uh, the day day of judgment and, and conduct and do good deeds, there will be no fear for them. Um, so it acknowledges, in that sense, mm. uh, uh, their sincerity, if that is the case, um, and um, the fact that um, they will be, in the hereafter, um, uh, dealt with, um, um, oh, I was going to say compassionately, but God is compassionate. But what I mean to say is that they will, be, uh, they will not... Uh, have they have nothing to fear, I believe, yes. is the, is yes, the they wording. Have nothing of to the, fear. They have nothing to fear. So, yeah. so in other words, that they will, they will, um, they will not suffer the ordeal of hell. That's, no, I, that's no. what I would uh, say. Uh, that. Uh, uh, and not forgetting what you said at the last show mm. about uh, the way the Holy Prophet respected King of Negus, the yeah. of Ethiopia, mm. uh, and how, the respect he gave to him. Mm. Um, is another uh, yes. example uh, the way the Holy Prophet uh, taught his companions to respect those people in authority, the mm. uh, embassies of different cultures and nations, and who used to visit him, how, mm. the respect that he gave them. And this falls in that realm as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, the, the way um, Pope Benedict himself uh, conducted, obviously as the Guardian is commenting that he'll be remembered for his resignation, uh, I believe that uh, Pope uh, John Paul, the previous Pope, um, had been given a request uh, by him, by this Pope, but wasn't a Pope at the time, for resignation from his position, and he refused because of, of the important role that he played. So he was mm-hmm. quite significant <laughs> in that. And uh, then when the Pope died, he became the Pope when he was trying to move out. So eventually he resigned, and that's the re- one of the reasons he gave, mm-hmm. that uh, he physically felt he could not carry on, mm-hmm. uh, although there were some other issues as well. Mm-hmm. But that was the prime reason why he said that he wanted to resign. Mm-hmm. But, so he was regarded as an intellect within the, within the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's uh, interesting. And the, uh, one, one other... Um, aspect that we discussed was um, the respect the Holy Prophet also gave to monks mm. and to um, the uh, uh, monks of um, St. Catherine who wanted uh, the monastery of St. Catherine who wanted some kind of protection. Yeah. Uh, so the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, actually gave them something in writing which is preserved even today. Yes. Um, so that's another aspect of the tolerance that uh, Islam shows and uh, the uh, way that uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, dealt with uh, Christian and mm. Christian clergy uh, with respect. With, with respect, mm. absolutely. However, this Pope did come under some controversies. Mm. Obviously, the resignation was one aspect of it, but pre- preceding that, uh, there was a lot of cases of sexual abuse within the church where a lot of uh, the clergy were accused of um, uh, of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And it it began during St. Pope Jones, uh, Pope, Pope Paul's uh, time, but it 
came under his administration to deal with. Mm. And there were some concerns as to how <coughs> they were dealt with. And they felt mm. that there were some inadequacies in, in his, on his part mm. to deal with it, even when he was a cardinal and then into the papacy as well, for which he apologized later as well. Mm. Mm. So fine. I mean, but this is, uh, I think, also a part of uh, religion bashing. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, trying to denigrate uh, anything, any um, superior authority, mm. uh, the authority of God, in other words. So uh, it has to be uh, looked at uh, in that perspective. Mistakes, I'm sure, were made, mm. but an apology has also been issued. And uh, so long as measures have been taken in order to uh, prevent that kind of uh, wrong being committed again, then I think that uh, this should be um, this should be um, we should be uh, big enough to uh, to accept it. After all, we are all human. We are uh, all human. We are, we are, we are not godly yes. in, in, in our attributes, but we certainly try to yeah. attain those values. Yeah. And this kind of abuse goes in, takes place in uh, in other has been has taken place in other sectors as well. Mm. Um, in the film sector as well, with uh, you've got uh, various uh, individuals that have been uh, now exposed. Film stars, yes. radio yes. presenters, mm. not us yeah. too, by the way. <laughs> Thank God for no, that. No. Thank you for clarifying <laughs> that. Exactly. <laughs> but but you're, you're absolutely right. Mm. It, it it happens in all uh, yeah. in all cases, and uh, some have been perpetrators. Obviously, the Pope has never been accused of, of no. taking part, so thank God for that. Yeah. Uh, the Roman Catholic papacy, I mean, is there, uh, does it play an important role uh, in the church today? Uh, we heard in Britain, uh, we were discussing this last show, there's a decline of Christianity um, within the church. Is the Roman Catholic slightly stronger than the Protestant Church in that regard? And does the papacy still play an important role? The Roman Catholics um, at least um, can be given credit to um, adhere closely mm. to, to what they consider to be the tenets of Christianity, whereas Protestantism tends to be quite woolly Mm -hmm. and uh, quite compromising, uh, which uh, in many instances destroys its credibility and uh, and is one of the reasons that people are moving away from uh, Christianity because uh, with Protestantism and the way that uh, it deals with uh, the changing of people's um, conduct and perception in society, uh, it tends to give the impression that it can be anything mm. to anyone, and therefore it rules its credibility. But that's not so much the case with um, with uh, the Roman Catholic. Catholic. Yeah. yeah, but the drawback is that the the basic tenets we would argue um, are now in a more informed world, mm. uh, a more educated world, are so far fetched. Some of them. I'm talking about the Trinity and uh, the um, the son, uh, the divinity of Jesus, and also, of, to some extent, of Mary in certain quarters. Mm. That it is, um, I mean, um, so far-fetched that um, in the intellectuals are also then uh, drawn 
to um, move away from Christianity yeah, and yeah. to dismiss it. Yeah. I remember uh, around the mid-1990s, the fourth caliph of the Andhya Muslim community <coughs> was giving an address uh, at Islamabad, the, the current uh, headquarters of uh, the Khilafat or the spiritual leadership of the Andhya Muslim communities now. I uh, gave an address there, and uh, one of the things he spoke about was how religion has to be um, realistic to the mm. people, else people will move away. And he gave the example of the Trinity mm. as one of the reasons why he believes that it's leading to the church uh, losing the church losing its adherence. Mm. Mm. Uh, but that was. You know, just over 20 years ago, yeah. he said that, yeah. and, and, and it's come to fruition, that yes. you're presenting God in a way or you're presenting your religion in such a way that it becomes difficult for people to accept it. Mm. And Islam also has to ensure that uh, when it uh, presents uh, God, because this is ultimately what religions are here, to, to mm. prove to people that God exists, mm. you have to present God in a way uh, that uh, it, it, it helps the mind understand that this is a real thing mm, uh, mm. And, and realistic at that. Mm. It needs to appeal to the human intellect. Mm. If it doesn't, if it uh, rankles with it, then of course people are going to be abandoning it. Mm. Um, and the other aspect also is that um, uh, people are generally, people tend to be, I think you were mentioning earlier, too drawn to the uh, commercial, to the materialistic aspects of life. And they do then uh, find that despite that struggle to get on materialistically, mm. uh, that there is, there is a chasm, there is something that's missing, but they can't put their finger on what it is. Uh, and they don't want to accept the fact that it is, it is the, um, God that is missing. Right. Um, oh. And continue. And, and the reason that they don't want to accept it is God that's missing is because of religions that. Um, uh, to the intellectual, uh, I mean, because religion intellectually is not appealing, mm. fails mm. to give them the feel they should. And, and many philosopher has in the past, in search of that mm. need to know what's happening beyond us, mm. uh, have sort of uh, spoken on that, and some even committed suicide to find out what is happening on the other side. Oh, really? Yeah, there's, okay. there's, 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 uh, I can't remember the names now, but uh, uh -huh. there, there have been philosophers who have okay. done that in, in, okay. in, in their... Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, understanding, trying to understand what else is uh, mm -hmm. ahead of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, something which we all want to find out, but yeah. uh, we have to wait our turn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mm. uh, <coughs> let's move on to our other story. Um, Al Jazeera is reporting, <coughs> uh, and this is strange. You know, Al Jazeera is another news outlet that we I, I, I look regularly into because some of our traditional media fails to mm -hmm. keep us informed. Mm -hmm. Certainly the BBC and the, and the Skies channels mm -hmm. have the agendas in this regard. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can catch up on Al Jazeera on some of this. And this you is don't, one you of don't watch uh, GB News? I've been forbidden by, oh, my, by my children <laughs> <laughs> to even tune mm. into that channel. Oh, they're very wise. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
uh, I, I once quoted that GB News, some article from them. I, uh, it was a good article in our favor, but I got a rollicking. Don't oh. even bother quoting that channel <laughs> in, in our family group, Dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> UN seeks ICJ, International Court of Justice, opinion on Israel's illegal occupation of Palestine, reports Al Jazeera. Uh, what do they say, really? Well, they, they say the United <coughs> Nations General Assembly has passed a resolution calling on the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, to give an opinion on the legal consequences of uh, Israel's illegal occupation of Palestinian territories. The General Assembly voted 87 to 26 with 53 abstentions on the resolutions with Western nations split, but with virtually unanimous support in the Islamic world, including among Arab states that have normalized relations with Israel. Russia and China voted in favor of the resolution. Israel, the U.S. and the 24 other members, including the United Kingdom and Germany, voted against the resolution, while France was among the 53 nations abstained. The Hague-based ICJ, also known as the World Court, is the top UN court dealing with disputes between states. Its rulings are binding, though the ICJ has no power to enforce them. Yes, Palestinian leaders on Saturday welcomed the vote, with senior officials Hussein al-Sheikh saying it reflects the victory of Palestinian diplomacy. The time has come for Israel to be a state subject to law and to be held accountable for its ongoing crimes against people, said Nabil Abu Rudaina, spokesman of the Palestinian Authority, President Abu, uh, Mahmoud Abbas. Mm. Uh, the, the Palestinians uh, have no army. They have no weapons. They're not allowed to have them. Uh, they've uh, fought on bravely with stones, uh, versus rockets and the most modern warfare. Uh, the land has been taken away from them. The territories, the illegal territories, uh, occupied territories, mm. are developing further mm-hmm. uh, against United Nations resolutions. And the United Nations seems helpless to do anything. They can pass mm. resolutions, but no one adheres to them. Mm. Now, the International Court of Justice is the legal arm that can enforce it. And yet, they say that uh, uh, the ruling is binding, though the ICJ has no power to enforce it. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a toothless lion. Well, the ICJ can only do what it can. Um, it can pass judgment. It can analyze, assess, pass judgment. But then it is uh, the role of uh, the collective community of nations. Hmm to uh, do what it should do. Hmm. And uh, if it doesn't um, um, abide and pursue and enforce the, uh, the uh, verdict, yeah. verdict of the ICJ, mm-hmm. then uh, we are all at a loss. Really and a we loss. are then promoting essentially injustice. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be that's uh, that's going to be unfortunate for uh, for us all. Yeah. If we are permitting injustice in this area, then where, uh, where else are we going to be permitting injustice? And if there is going to be injustice, yeah. then there is going to be strife and conflict. Indeed, and uh, and when you look at the votes, you've got eighty-seven votes uh, in favour, 
26 against with 53 abstentions. Uh, if you add the two, uh, the, uh, the against and the abstentions, it falls below those who voted in favor. So, and that's why this vote becomes a very strong vote because uh-huh. they have the majority. Uh, over 50%, uh, otherwise it's 79 versus 87. Okay, so yeah? you're saying that if we, if we combine the abstentions and the, the no votes, yep. they're still less they're than still, those. They're still under, yes, and, and the, the in favor votes are more than 50%. Ah, so okay. this is why this resolution becomes a very strong resolution. I see, 87 against 79, I see. Cur- yeah, yeah. yeah. <coughs> and so therefore, uh, there's going to be pressure Mm. Uh, and and I think what uh, uh, Hussein al Sheikh, the official from the Palestinians, said reflects the victory of the Palestinian diplomacy. Ultimately, I think that's where the victory for the Palestinian has to lie. It's not going to happen through in Fatala in, in, in the, 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 the uh, intifadas. Yeah. It's not going to happen through the intifadas. You 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 know you can't have stones versus no. rockets. And you're going to win on that, you know, the, the dragon mm. and the uh, Saint George and the dragon are, yeah. are fallacies, basically. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and that's important for the Palestinians that they, they, they've got this victory. Uh, they've done it through diplomacy mm. uh, because it's happened in the United Nations, uh, and the people, the nations, are now mm. turning away from the strong powers that mm. influence the United Nations. Yes, um, that's very true. But um, I think uh, His Holiness has been mentioning this in the past, um, that uh, if we want to have peace in the world, then we have to observe justice. Mm. Um, There can't be any peace without justice. And unfortunately, we uh, do not have that uh, on the world stage. And there are certain very strong, influential members powerful influ- uh, members um, in the United Nations that are preventing that uh, from occurring. And that is uh, that is a threat to us all, including uh, the very nations that are, um, that are promoting this injustice or allowing this injustice to continue. Indeed. Um, and uh, It doesn't bode, bode well for us in the future. It doesn't bode well. For all of us. No. And, and, and as the Palestinian... Ambassador to the UK hmm. said to, I think it was on Channel 4 when he was invited when there was an Israeli soldier that was killed. He said, why do you call me when there's an Israeli soldier? Why don't you call me when there are Palestinian death? And there are hmm. plenty of those. Hmm. It's always at their agenda that yeah. I'm asked to call yeah. and, and he can't. And, and he's right. And I think yeah. this is the diplomacy yeah. path. In but it's very, it's very unfair. And it, you, without putting too fine a point on it, I mean, we, we're talking these days about bringing... Uh, Vladimir Putin uh, in front of the International Court for Justice. Mm. Uh, but uh, we are ignoring the fact that we didn't do anything like that with uh, Blair and Bush. Exactly. Uh, when they did something much more uh, dramatic and much more horrific. Yeah, exactly. And destroying a, destroying a, con- and, a country and, and unleashing. Um, yeah. Um, and unleashing um, uh, such carnage in yeah. that part of the world. Indeed. And that's still outstanding and that still needs to be done. Sure. Right. Uh, interesting discussion. This is a discussion we'll always have uh, on our show. Um, ultimately, we are here to uh, focus on bringing justice to people, whoever yep. is being unjust yep. here. Right, uh, let's move on to our Faith in Focus uh, section now, Walid. Mm. Uh, the Holy Quran says, And say to the believing women that they restrain their eyes and guard their private parts 
and that they disclose not their natural and artificial beauty except that which is apparent thereof, and that they draw their head coverings over their bosoms, and that they disclose not <coughs> their not sorry, not their beauty save to their husbands, and then it ca- carries on and who else? This is chapter twenty four, verse thirty two. Uh BBC says that Iran protests hundred detainees facing death penalty rights uh, for the rights groups. At least 100 people have now been sentenced to death or charged with the capital offence in connection with protests in Iran, a rights group says. What else did they say? Five women uh, were among those at risk of execution, uh, Norway-based Iran Human Rights IHR uh, reported. Iran has been engulfed by protests against the country's clerical establishment following the deaths in custody of uh, Masa Amini, a 22-year-old woman who was detained by morality police in Tehran on 13 September for allegedly wearing her hijab or headscarf improperly. Uh, Authorities have portrayed the protests as foreign-backed riots and responded with lethal force. Yes. Meanwhile, in Afghanistan, Afghanistan Taliban ban all education for girls, reports the Wall Street Journal. Afghan girls and women have been squeezed out of the public and professional life since the Taliban have taken over. What do the economic time states in March? Well, in March 2021, this uh, particular uh, journal says that Switzerland is the latest European country to ban the niqab, the Islamic full-face veil that shows only the eyes, policies attempting to regulate or ban the niqab, and the more extensive burqa covering have popped up in a handful of countries across Europe, with uh, France enacting the first public ban in 2010. Yes, uh, tackling violence against women and girls strategy, UK government website states, uh, it's a, a new policy that's been brought in. The safety of women and girls is a major concern for many people. The tragic deaths of Sarah Edwards, Sabina Nessa and others serve as a reminder that this is an urgent public safety issue we all need to act on. So this is happening in Britain, mm-hmm. uh, where women's safety is under threat. Uh, joining us this morning is a journalist who has appeared on French TV and is now a contributor to the Review of Religions and the author of the Ahmadis and Muslim Identity Diaspora. Uh, good morning and assalamu alaikum, Maruf. Uh, Maruk, can you hear me? Yes. Good morning. Assalamualaikum. Sorry, I think there's a technical issue. Uh, Maruk, uh, women appear to be having a tough time, whether it's under Islamic rule or in the name of freedom in the West. Why do you think this is so at the moment? It's very prevalent, isn't it? Yes, it seems that um, there's there's two visions about... um, Muslim women that are clashing, but both are extremely uh, oppressive, and uh, because both of them do not take into consideration the, prula- the prula- prula- sorry plurality of experiences of Muslim women, some um, feel that it is their right. Actually, it's a right that they have to choose whether to wear the hijab or not to wear the hijab. But in both. Um, in, with both visions, there's a there's a there's an aim to politicize um, women's choices and women's body, which is absolutely wrong. Um, so that is something that should be very personal and something that should come from their own 
um, rather than, you know, the state imposing something. So both are extremely wrong. Both are condemned by the by the Holy Quran. And uh, in terms of uh, in Iran, where people, where women are being forced to wear the hijab, while the West, they are being forced not to wear it. You've got two polars here. Uh, yeah. Who should determine what women should wear? And does Islam, as it is stated in the West, are forced to wear the hijab against their wishes, citing Iran or Saudi Arabia as their proof? Well, what's the reality behind all, all, all of this? Should women be forced to wear the hijab, as as, as we are being told? Um, no, absolutely not. Yeah. This, is what, uh, this is what I'm primarily saying, that women should be able to decide what they should wear or not. Right. Women are allowed to decide whether they should um, uh, wear the hijab or not. I mean, from a strictly religious point of view, if mm. we have to tackle this question, um, you know, without any, um, I would say, um, uh, without going, you know, here and there, yeah. the, in the Holy Quran, it's quite clear that it is a commandment. You, you quoted the verse of the Holy Quran. Yes. But there's a verse above that verse that that is addressed to the believing men. Hmm. So there is two commandments. There's a commandment for men, the, the believing men, that they should lower their gaze. Right. And then there's the second verse that comes after that you quoted, that it is for the believing women that they should, you know, lower their gaze and cover their head and... Um, so there is a commandment, but there is nowhere it is mentioned in the Holy Quran that anybody could impose, impose that. that. It's, the, it's just like the five daily prayers. This is a commandment from God that mm. you should be able to pray five times a day. But there's nobody who is coming around and, you know, checking if you're uh, waking up for your five daily prayers or doing everything for your five daily prayers. So it's exactly the same thing. And that is the common rule for all the commandments of the Holy Quran. If you are a believer, a believer's journey is progressive. So Allah, Allah believes that, God believes in the Holy Quran that it is a journey, right? So yeah. everybody has their own journey. Yes. Some people choose not to wear it in a young age. And probably after they start thinking out of their own will, out mm. of their own thinking that they should wear it because they see some benefits to it and they understand the benefits of it. But it should come from their own personal perspective and personal choice. Right. And God has given that. Um, freedom of choice to mankind, whether there are women or whether they are men. Mm. Uh, he has made them equal in that very sense that they both have the freedom to choose whether they want to follow something or they don't want to follow something. Right. And both parts are quite clear in the Holy Quran. So there's there's no such thing as imposing the hijab or imposing a religious, uh, any sort of religious commandment onto mankind. Uh, it is quite clear in the in the Quran that even God has even instructed the the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him mm. that you are a warner. You are not there to impose anything. You're only there to warn people and to advise people. So that's it. After that, it's up to you know the believer and God. So there should be a space left to God, and we should not be actually these states are playing the role of God instead of. Um, instead of God, uh, you know, they're, they're coming into yeah. that space. Uh, 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 therein lies the problem that uh, man sometimes takes on the mantle of God when it, when they're not authorized to do so. Exactly, exactly. Mm. But both are wrong. Both are. It's quite clear mm. from the Holy Quran perspective, from a religious perspective, perspective, that both are wrong. And even some Muslim women, you know, for example, us, for example, me, if I if I wear the hijab outside. There's a there's a, a misconception that I believe it's okay to impose the hijab on you know other women. 
uh, there's a lot of people in France who come up to me and be like, well, you're wearing the hijab, but there's so so many women who are forced um, to 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 wear it, and they're taking it off. You should take it off by solidarity. So this is this is also a logic that is not really understandable mm. because we as Muslim women who wear the hijab can are quite clearly saying that this is wrong. We are not up for it, but we believe that there should be a freedom for everybody to choose whether you want to wear it or whether you don't want to wear it. Indeed. Because that's the spirit of of our religion. That's the spirit of the Holy Quran. As the Quran states, there is no compulsion in matters of faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, Waleed wants to come in uh, with a question or two or or a statement or two. I don't know. (laughs) Maruka, on on what you've said, um, uh, the supporters of the morality uh, police, I'm not uh, one of them, I assure you, uh, (laughs) they would contend that they have a responsibility for maintaining the moral health of society. And it's okay if uh, people choose to pray or not pr- uh, not pray, that is a private matter. But when they go out I- I- about in society, it affects others as well. So those mm. who are not dressed properly are affecting the health, mo- the health, the moral, spiritual health of society. And they, they have a responsibility there. As far as the West is concerned, France in particular, they're saying that um, a lot of uh, terrorist acts have been perpetrated by, by Muslims, they contend, and that the wearing of the hijab reminds people who have, be, have suffered distress uh, of uh, those atrocities. That's why they feel that uh, the hijab should be banned. So what do you say to, to both these camps uh, who want to promote this uh, uh, this oppression of women in this way? Okay. <laughs> there's a there's an issue with the morality question that it it affects morality. So it's a public sphere thing mm. um, that you know women have to dress m- modestly because that will affect the the morality of the society. That that argument is quite um, doesn't is not sustainable as well because and. Um, because of the fact that I was saying, uh, in the Holy Quran, if we're talking about an Islamic perspective, it is quite clear that responsibility lies with men and women both for maintaining the moral ground of the society. If men do not lower their gaze, it doesn't. It does not matter um, if a woman is covered or uncovered. If the if the gaze is is bad, the outcome will be bad. So morality starts from intentions, and intentions are linked to the gaze in Islam. So that's why it is really important for both genders to play their role. So basically, that's, I, I wrote an article about that as well, about the male gaze, and I don't know if you had the opportunity to read it, but that's also the argument that I was making, that if both genders are not working together, and that's the beauty of Islam, that it is quite equal in its treatment of genders. It, it looks at genders independently, differently, but it treats them equally. So it tells them that believing men, if you do not lower your gaze and if you do not keep your intentions pure, that will not hold the moral ground of the society. And Muslim women, as a precaution, are told to cover up so that if the intentions are wrong, hmm. because it can happen, and because we've seen it in the society, we see it every day. Um, in Iran, in Pakistan, in India, there's a lot of women who cover up from head to toe still. Abuse happened to them. Sexual abuse happened to them. It's because the moral ground 
of the society is not only determined by the women's clothing, it is determined by the gaze of men as well. So if we understand that point of view, the Islamic point of view, that puts the responsibility on both genders, that will not happen. The problem of most Muslim countries is that they put that responsibility solely on women and on their clothing, which is wrong. Sorry, when abuse happens, it is not we cannot blame the women's clothing for that. We can we can we have to blame the men men's behavior. There's a problem in, within men's behavior as well. So pr- to prevent that, the Holy Quran has been quite clear with the commandment. Now, if we talk about the West and, you know, how it reminds them of how um, terrorists have been killing people. Terrorism is not, that's why we have to educate people that Islam has nothing to do with the vision that terrorism, terrorism is an ideology. It's an extremist, violent ideology, which has nothing to do with Islam. It quotes Islam. It quotes parts of Islam. It it cherry picks, you know. Uh, part of Islam, but it is the aim is political, and both in both sides the aim is political. So they have politicized female body, uh, the the female uh, the um, sorry women's bodies, in order to control um, a certain that in in order to impose their ideology and control a certain fraction of the population. So in both cases there is a control, and in both cases there is a, a compulsion. Right when you're telling women not to wear the hijab you're not allowed to you're controlling their choices and when you're telling women you you have to wear the hijab you're controlling their choices so both are wrong mm. well it, my question would be on, on your premise of the question mm. would be that if that is the case that society will suffer if the women are not uh, mm. forced to wear the hijabs or modest clothing but then the first address is what Maruk is trying to say is that the first advice is to the men to lower their gaze. So if anything happens, if there's an attack, and we, and we read that women are more likely to be the victims of sexual assault than rape, uh, over 1.4 million said that they had been victims of rape or attempted rape in Britain. Mm-hmm. Right? If that is the case, then should not the men be uh, the cause of it for not having lowered their gaze mm. at those women who have not dressed so well? So why, why aren't we not first addressing the men for not uh, having uh, followed the Quranic guidelines as far as Muslims are concerned, mm. uh, rather than subjugate women to the, to those laws. Yes, but I mean, I think the point that was being made is that uh, the so-called morality police mm. tend to justify what they do. Yeah, but why, saying, why, why aren't they just why, why aren't they uh, addressing the men as well? Yes, but they're saying that they have the right to do so because. Uh, they are trying to protect the health of society. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're right when you say that uh, the same should apply to men. Mm. But then it means that uh, they also have the authority to punish men who are not uh, behaving uh, behaving properly as far as their gaze is concerned. Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, if they, if their gaze is one way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Maru's got a few things to say on that. But let's move on to the discussion. Uh, you, you touched on this, Maru, uh, uh, and I just want to sort of follow that lead uh, or that line of discussion. In Iran, women are being forced to wear the hijab, while in the West they are being forced not to wear it. Uh, and we see that in Iran, when they are being forced to wear it, they want to take it off. In the West, 
they forced not to wear it and more women have started wearing the hijab in the West. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that tell us? Does that tell us that uh, imposition is wrong uh, and let the women decide? And what's the best way of encouraging women to wear the hijab? So it has, a, as you said, it has a counter effect. That's what we observe, that mm. when you um, tell somebody not to do something and you ban it or you do something that, you know, even when there's an imposition or a controlling sort of measure, it has a counter effect. So, and in France, it's very, uh, you know, women are, they keep saying that they're everywhere, they're everywhere, you know, Muslim veiled women are everywhere. But you don't see them at all on the media or anywhere. You go in any shop uh, or, um, you know, if, if, you go for, if you're going for a shopping here in the UK, you'll find a lot of women wearing the hijab and working. In France, you, can, you, will, you will never find one. So um, um, it, it does tell that in Iran also the situation is quite different because in Iran it's quite violent. We've seen the, the young girl who has been killed just because she was protesting against that. Mm. So this is absolutely wrong. And um, we, we do understand, as, as a woman, I do understand, of course, the, the sentiment of all the women over there who are, you know, you shouldn't be losing your life for that. Yeah, uh, it's absolutely wrong um, that you know they're killing women just on the basis of that, and that's it. It comes from um, we, we will start repeating the same thing again, but it comes from a misreading and a misunderstanding of Islam's actual commandment on morality. Right. It as uh, when when we are only responsible uh, when you only responsibilize one gender and you're only putting the blame on one gender, then mm. vices tend to happen because there is an injustice. injustice and when yeah. there is an injustice, there is an uprising. Okay. So in both in both the West and in, in the Middle East, you see that <coughs> uprising. You get the opposite reaction both, of what you're trying to achieve. Yes. Mm. Both feel that, you know, there, there's been an injustice because they haven't been given the right to choose. Mm. So in order to maintain a healthy society, first of all, you need to start with the basics and give people their freedom to choose give women their freedom to choose. Women have long been oppressed for their choices, have long been oppressed for their freedom. And it's very sad to see that some women are actually supporting uh, the fact that, um, for example, in France, they're supporting the fact that um, the government is banning the hijab. It's very, very upsetting to see that because women have had a history of being, you know, uh, denied their rights. And it's sad to see when women are not standing up for other women. So as Muslim women, it is a duty from, as Muslim women to stand up for these Iranian girls who are starting, who are protesting against, you know, uh, uh, a controlling and in, an imposition of the hijab because both come from a wrong, um, um, both are wrong and both are against the commandment of the Holy Quran that we're trying to follow. Right. Uh, I, you make a good point there, uh, which comes takes me to another point, that during 9-11 to justify, and this is where the media plays a role, but I presume they're following the government line sometimes. After 9-11, trying to justify what the West had done, uh, the, what they tried to do was uh, say that, you know, one of the reasons we are attacking Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, particularly, was that uh, the way they treat the women there, they are subjugated to wearing their job and, and the public floggings and public ha- beheadings, etc. 
and yet uh, they would they would try to uh, bring guests on, which would be mostly white, mostly male, uh, never a Muslim woman who wears a hijab, uh, and they would uh, impress on the public that uh, women were being forced to do do this in uh, to wear the hijab by the men, by the Islamic authorities. And that would be a way of justifying what they're doing in Iraq. Uh, th they never brought in Muslim women to explain why they wore the hijab. And even today, although that has changed somewhat because the Iraq and the Afghanistan wars are over. So th th does the media play a role as well um, by towing the government line sometimes or promoting the propaganda of the government? Uh, and has that done a lot of damage to uh, the rights of uh, Muslim women? Yes, it has, because it has created a sort of um, a sort of misconception about Muslim women who are always, you know, wearing their... It, 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 it seems when you're watching the news that Muslim women are just wearing their burqa all the time, even at home. <laughs> uh, they're covering head to toe, even at home. Yeah. And they're, they're very... They have no voice. They have no sort of um, uh, opinion of their own uh, and that happens because there's no articulate uh, Muslim woman wearing the hijab who comes on TV to come and explain herself, explain her point of view. Most of the time what you see is men commenting on the hijab or you see um, non-Muslim women commenting on it and of course they have their own vision of it uh, that is a biased vision and that is not the vision of um, the Holy Quran. The vision of the Holy Quran, as I've, as I've said, is, is quite equal. It, it's quite, it, it puts the responsibility on both genders. So hijab is not um, exclusively a female issue. It, it is a male issue as well. It is, yeah. And the other thing we were discussing in our show last, uh, last show was about the reduction of uh, the number of Christians in Britain. And it's a trend that's following around the world as well. Uh, and, and the growth of Islam, actually, is the highest, the largest growth in the country. Over a million people became Muslims. And many of them are British women who adorn the, the hijab. Now, one of the things I, when I venture into Europe uh, on holidays, etc., I always go and visit cathedrals or the big churches there. And I often see a sign saying something like, women should wear a headscarf when entering, right? Uh, yeah. it's quite, uh, I've been to the Sacre Coeur, is it, in uh, Paris? Uh, the, yeah. the cathedral. Yeah. There's a sign out there that clearly states, stated it. Now, uh, it seems that with the reduction of Christianity, less practices of what Christians did in the past. Mother Mary, uh, the, Mary is always depicted as someone wearing a hijab, and the, the signs of the church is certainly saying the similar things to what Muslim women do. And uh, as my brother often s s states that uh, I tell when I go to these places, I tell the people there that my wife is the only one permitted to come inside this church because she's the one who's wearing the hijab. None of you, <laughs> none of the women here are doing so. So is is uh, are, are the West turning away from religion and from traditions of Christianity? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can see it um, quite clearly even the, in the Christmas season. You can see how Christmas has been more of a commercial and um, more of a way to... It, 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 it's losing its religious uh, values and meaning year by year. It's only a means now to give gifts to your loved one and share dinner, and that's it. Uh, there's rarely a religious talk on Christmas. 
uh, most of the time it's you know it has become a cultural practice and it's the same thing with every sort of religious commandment within Christianity I mean there's still some people I believe who would be quite staunch believers but mostly uh, we see a rise of you know um, atheism and 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 people losing their 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 Christian and religious values mm. uh, quite clearly whether um, but Muslim Muslims are quite aware of the fact that you know um, we believe in, in in Mother Mary as well as Maryam, uh, and we respect that figure a lot. We, there is a the whole a whole chapter on on uh, on on this figure on, in the Holy Quran, and there's a lot of people who don't know that. That's right, chapter uh, nineteen, I, I isn't remember, it? Mm. Yes, I still remember we, once uh, there's a woman who came to me, and she she was quite surprised that you know there was a whole chapter on Jesus, there was a whole chapter on Mary in the Holy Quran because she believed that it was only the story of. Muhammad, mm. <laughs> and mm. I, we told her that no, it, it it has distinct chapters about Christianity. It has Indeed. a lot of, um, and it, the Holy Quran says that you know the Bible and uh, it contains light, it contains guidance. So there is something to take from Indeed. every religion. Yeah, that uh, is positive and common. Uh, Maruf, time's not on our side, so thank you very much for joining us uh, and sharing your views and explaining uh, the Islamic perspective and. Uh, and, and liberation of women as taught in the Islamic faith. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. As always. Uh, right, Walid, uh, we're mm. coming up to the 11 o'clock news um, and uh, we shall be joined with Dr. Free soon after. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Welcome back to the Voice of Islam. This is the Weekend World Show with Asad Amdi and Waleed Ahmed. Uh, we are now uh, going to go to our next segment of the show, which is Behind the Headlines. Just been called for Donald Trump. The decision taken to join the common market has been the reversed. should call a general election. Order. Weekend World. Questions to the Prime Minister. Behind the Headlines. Right, uh, we're going to start with the verse of the Holy Quran, chapter 17, verse 13, Surah Bani Israel. وَجَعَلْنَا آيَةَ النَّهَارِ مُبْصِرَةً لِتَبْتَغُوا فَضْلًا مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ وَلِتَعْلَمُوا عَدَدَ السِّنِينَ وَالْحِسَابِ وَكُلَّ شَيْءٍ فَصَّلْنَاهُ تَفْصِيلًا And we made the night and the day two signs. And the sign of the night we have made dark. And the sign of the day we have made light, or sight, that you may seek bounty from your Lord, and that you may know the computation of years, and the signs of reckoning, and everything we have explained with a detailed explanation. Uh, Willie, uh, mm. New Year's is upon us, first uh, of January, yeah. and. The calendar itself is quite a recent invention in, in terms of mm. relative to man. Mm. Uh, so how accurate is it, number one? And number two, is it being followed by everyone? Mm-hmm. To answer some of those questions, uh, mm-hmm. we have our dear doctor, the good doctor, Dr. Freedom. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Sir. 
celebrating on different days and uh, yeah. I think the Coptic Christians also have a new year different to the ones yeah that's what I said I, I yeah. mentioned at the beginning Coptic calendar and yeah. the Zor, 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 uh, Zoroastrian New Year yes. 21st of March I mean the fact the thing is some many of these are based on the lunar calendar mm. some are based on solar and lunar combination right uh, uh, and looking when I was researching this we also came uh, when we look at Easter for example uh, the, uh, the, that's also uh, it has to be fixed. Uh, it's it's not fixed. It depends on the. Uh, uh, it's the first Sunday after the first of the full moon. Mm-hmm. 
So although we always there's always a debate that Muslims have not not sure when to start Ramadan or when to celebrate Eid, the the festival of Eid, because they rely on the new moon. Easter is the same sort of phenomena right. for Christians. They also is sometimes it's not clear when the new moon will be. Yeah, yeah. So there was a year when it was just decided that they were just. Uh, uh, it was not sure whether the new moon would be seen, right. and then it was delayed. The, the, it was uh, Easter was delayed by a week or or set, uh, so uh, it was celebrated the following Sunday, basically. Yeah, I, I, I presume the lunar calendar, because it's shorter than the solar calendar, moves. Uh, we had Rabbi Jeff Berger with us last show, and he was explaining about Hanukkah. And when I asked him when is this a fixed uh, date for for Hanukkah, I was said, and he explained that uh, because it, it's the lunar calendar, they readjust it every three or four years, mm, uh, and and, oh. and and the same with Easter. That is exactly the same principle. That otherwise it would move like uh, the Ramadan and Eid for the Muslims. It would keep moving every year, yes, shorter so and shorter. They yeah, reset it. The- yeah. Yeah, they, I mean that's why it's called a lunar solar calendar. Yes, yes. So it is really, it's a, it's a combination of the two. So oh. they have to, uh, but in in Islam or in uh, the the months uh, we we don't put a uh, uh, a correction no. uh, month in uh, to 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 bring it in line with the solar calendar. Right. And that's why we find that uh, this, with the seasons, the time of Hajj changes and the. Um, the month of Ramadan, exactly, yes, and 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 I presume the the in the Islamic system, the you know, the Holy Quran talks about, uh, I mean, the verse that we just recited about night and day, but also uh, the Holy Quran <laughs> states that uh, we have set the moon and the sun in motion so that you can determine your times and days out of it. Yes. Uh, and in Islam, we use both. We use the solar calendar for our prayer times, but the lunar calendar for our festivals. Yes, yes, we do. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so man can use both the sun and the moon to, to recognize and uh, to establish days of remembrance, etc. Uh, what about, uh, we know that calendars mark out days and months, as I just mentioned, uh, and years, and enable us to organize and assign dates to various activities, which is what we're just discussing. When were calendars actually first initiated? Well, it, uh, mankind has, has been looking at ways to organize their lives uh, you know, from prehistory, basically. And I think before, uh, before writing came into practice, uh, it, the only evidence we have of calendars uh, is is uh, stone monuments, which used to mark sort of key events. You know, mainly to do with harvest. Uh, I mean, Stonehenge is supposed to be a form of calendar mm. because it points in a certain direction. Uh, Aztec architecture also has some uh, depicts some form of assessment of seasons. Uh, but uh, interestingly, in 2013, they in uh, Scotland. They discovered what's the site at Warren Field, uh, and that's 10,000 years old. And what it consists of is 12 pits aligned with the southeast horizon. And uh, what the archaeologists believe that these were to check uh, these, the height of the stage of the moon or, or a certain, to, tra- to track time in relation to the sun. Right. So that's, uh, I mean, there's no written records from those periods. So what they, it's just a, uh, the uh, theory by the archaeologists that this probably was some form 
of uh, of seasonal of of, of calendar of, of of time management right. of seasonal management. So, but uh, but it it shows that people even in those days had a, had a had a had a concept that uh, cycles were predictable over time. That cycles changed, but then they were predictable. Mm-hmm. You know, you had, mm-hmm. you had seasons, and the moon was in a certain position yeah. at a certain time of the year. And uh, at the same time, the next day it would come back into the same position, or it, the, the the cycles would continue. They could work it out. I mean, in in fact, the verse of the Quran we 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 uh, recited at the beginning yes. that uh, that you may know the computation of years and the science of reckoning. Yes. Two words very important. One is computation. <coughs> one is rec- uh, the science that man needed to uh, man would be given the opportunity to uh, to study and to look into the science of it mm-hmm. and to uh, compute and to use his mind and his brains and God. Uh, this is part of the God-given, uh, the, 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 not the God-given, sorry, the, the attribute of Rahmaniyat, right. that God is gracious. He provides uh, for, uh, for mankind what he needs. But some things mankind has to look for, but it's all there. But uh, if you study and look at it, uh, if, you, if, you, if you go into the science of it, uh, expand your knowledge of the and appreciate the the what God has made for you, then you you will develop and expand uh, and progress. Uh, interestingly, can I uh, yeah I'll just mention here mm-hmm. that uh, we, with regard to the science, the calculations of uh, over the years of what uh, well the calculations since history. Of uh, uh, the uh, how what how long a year is uh, uh, by modern scientists and even you know by Western scientists and in, but the the most accurate calculation was by Umar Khayyam in the 11th century. Right, uh, Muslim astronomer. Uh, he calculated that the length of the year. Uh, would be at was at 365 days. Point two four two one nine eight five eight one five six. That's how. how far. <laughs> yeah. And in modern day, modern day scientists have calculated the length to be near enough that that what what he calculated. What he calculated. It's off by a fraction of a second. So, yeah. basically, uh, the uh, by if you use his calendar, which is called the Jalili calendar. Uh huh. Yeah, this is a Jalili calendar. Uh, you would lose one day in uh, over a hundred thousand years. Oh, really? So that is that accurate? That accurate. It's uh, it's very very accurate. Right. So yeah. So I mean, uh, in recognition of his accomplishments, Omar Khayyam, he's uh, uh, there's a uh, a crater named after him on the moon. Oh, so it's called yes, Umar Khayyam, the Umar Khayyam crater. That's very interesting. Yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, but, I, I mean, going yeah. yes. Car- no, carry on. No, yeah, no. So I mean, going, going. So you. So I mentioned the 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 stone, uh, yeah. sort of pillars and ways of uh, what we assume were sort of sort of, sort of very rudimentary calendars. Mm. But then, the actual real calendars we're used to came was, were the Babylonian calendars. Uh-huh. Uh, say say about four thousand years. Uh, BC. BC. Okay. Uh, so around about around about the time of Moses. No, around the time of Hazrat Abraham. Oh, Abraham. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Okay. Um, so what was their calendar? Well, twelve lunar months. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Each beginning with uh, sort of a uh, 
a new based on the moon, uh, but they also adjusted it with the Solon calendar. But when but this was by the it wasn't our calendar as uh, what everyone had in their possession. But no. the government decided that you know now we'll put an extra month in this this month. So, but they credited the Babylonians are credited with the first written calendars. Okay. Uh, 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 and uh, there's a verse in the Quran which says, uh, which uh, mentions that, uh, uh, the, which I think the, the reckoning of the months with Allah has been 12 months by Allah's ordinance since the day when He created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's interesting to note that some of the very early calendars also, also had 12 months. 12 months. Yeah. yeah. As, so, as does the Chinese calendar, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Chinese calendar, yes. Yeah, yeah. also has 12 months. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the strangest aspect of the Babylonian months would have been the length of those. So they had four weeks of seven days, which uh, we we the same same similar to was not familiar uh, unfamiliar to us. Mm-hmm. Seven days, but uh, the last week because they had to adjust it, so it would be the last week would be you know seven eight would be eight or nine days. Mm-hmm. So you have a longer week, or you have, you know I don't know whether you had a longer weekend, but you had a longer <laughs> <laughs> had a longer week at the end. But the government would do, would, would decide that. Yeah, we could do with a longer <laughs> weekend. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, 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 you know, I I, recently, uh, I went to Rome a few couple of years ago. Yes. And we visited a place called the Pantheon, which is different to anyone else because it's a round circular building. And yes. the most intriguing part of the Pantheon was that there was a point there where the sunlight comes in. And once a year, that that the sun hits a particular point. Uh, right. So that was a form of a calendar that you were referring to. And now yes. this 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 pre predates Islam, predates Christianity, uh, predates uh, more more or less around the Moses time. I presume the Roman empires were around. So the calendars, as you've stated, have a long history, uh, and possibly the Babylonian one, as you state. 4,000 years old when, when they first started. All these different calendars must have caused a lot of difficulties and confusion, I'm sure, especially when regions and states started to come together. And as, as the Roman Empire expanded, it became as one nation, so they would have confronted different calendars being used. So how was this sort of uh, compromised? How was it sort of all brought together? Was, or, or did it ever come together? Yes, well, then I think the establishment of the Roman Empire uh, that uh, changed things. Uh, up to that time, there, because there had been so many different types of calendars, mm. uh, we weren't getting it quite right. And uh, the calendar was always out of sync with the seasons. Yeah. So with the stars and the movement of the moon. So it's, uh, Julius Caesar is credited with uh, doing, with proposing and getting the reforms, uh, which is for the calendar, which which we basically we 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 base our we base our calendars on now uh, started it off because uh, he had spent time in Egypt and the Egyptians had a very good cal- good system of cal- of, a, of a calendar and they they knew what day it was uh, in Rome apparently this for some you know for or in many other places at the time hmm. people didn't really know what day it was oh, right, they had to, right. yes so so what uh, Julius Caesar did was that in the 46 uh, BC he added two extra months between November and December, so oh. September and October, uh, increasing that year by 67 days. So, so 46 BC uh, that year w- w- turned into 445 days instead of 365 days. Yes. that year was for a period of 445 days. He adjusted it, uh-huh. and then 
uh, that this reform, what he did was, uh, because, as we know, 28 days is usually a lunar month. Yes. But then he added the extra days. Now we have, you know, 30-day months. We have 31-day months. Yes. So he is the one who made these adjustments, who added these on. So February was the only month which continued to be 28 days. February oh. was saved. Okay. <laughs> so so uh, two, two days were added to January, then uh, uh, August, uh, December. Uh, so... So, so he, that's that's the pattern of the calendar that uh, that uh, would come to be used by much of the world, uh, uh, and that he formed that. And I presume because that was still out of sync, they added an extra day in February every four years. Well, yes, I mean the the Julian the, the Julian. So this is the Julian calendar. Yes, it worked pretty well, mm-hmm. but it wasn't wholly accurate, as you say. Yes. Uh, the uh, so, so every uh, is, is pushed a calendar out of alignment. Say uh, about three days every four hundred years. Okay. So then, uh, it was uh, so. Th- then uh, the, the new thinking, and uh, the, the, the with the revival of uh, of sort of modern thought. Uh, uh, I think in I'm not sure of the year, but the the. Uh, uh, an Italian doctor and astronomer, whose name was Aloysius Lilius, mm. he suggested uh, the, the the leap year because the, the leap year had already been uh, inserted, but he uh, realized that uh, this was uh, had uh, they had overdone it, so he said that uh, uh, they should cancel the leap year for forty years and propose a new formula to stabilize the calendar. Right. So so they, so. Uh, so this is where the Gregorian calendar is, because it was adopted in the time of uh, the, the Pope Gregory the Thirteenth okay. in 1582. Mm-hmm. So this was adopted on um, on, um, oh, on in 1582. Yeah. Uh, so the previous day, according to the Julian calendar, was Thursday, October the fourth. Right. So they lost 11 days. Uh-huh. So. Uh, so you, those 11 days, if you had your birthday, then you missed that birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so 4th till the 15th of October. So, uh, and uh, many countries, not so, not everyone adopted it. This, I mean, Pope, uh, this was uh, sanctioned by the Pope. Yes. So the, the Protestants wouldn't, wouldn't have it. And uh, Spain, obviously, was a Christian country, accepted the new calendar immediately. Portugal, France, France etc. Uh, Prussia accepted in 1610. Uh, Britain didn't choose the Gregorian calendar until 1752. That is uh, 200 years later. Right. Nearly near 200 years later. Uh, Greece waited till 1923 to adopt it. Oh, right. And Turkey, 1926. As recent as that. Yes, as recent yeah. as Yes. And they so, say that one of the reasons, because of all these different calculations and the times that these were adopted, that that's one of the reasons why... Christmas has fallen in December when it shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. had, had, had they calculated it properly, because there were some miscalculations as well in the calendars, that that Christmas has fallen on the wrong day. So really, Jesus was not born on, on well, the Well, I mean, 25th. that's a different uh, uh, subject altogether, yeah. because uh, uh, the, the, the precise date of the birth of Jesus is, is unknown. It's unknown, yes. There's no one... There are uh, there is circumstantial evidence as to when he was born, but sure. uh, so you can't pinpoint it. Uh, and uh, 
So basically, this the this is the the calendar we use generally in the world now. The Gregorian calendar mm-hmm. uh, uh, is uh, it's uh, it's it repaired the errors and basically um, it it, uh, it requires very little adjustment. Sure. But uh, uh, it, uh, sorry, uh, I mean, with with modern day technology, hmm. uh, there's still what's uh, w- what is needed to be added is a leap second every few years. Every few years, yeah. Because of computers and hmm. uh, the, the 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 satellites, it has to be very very precise calculations. And the stock markets, even the stock markets, hmm. they suffer from so even a leap into setting a leap second uh, can cause uh, problems. Well, we heard in 2000 there's going to be a major problem with computers, <laughs> yes. which never turned out to be the case. I remember my company, we, we, they trained us all into a new system, which would yes. counter this, that, that problem, but uh, it was never going to be a problem anyway. Uh, what about, I mean, so so the Gregorian one is the one that's being used the most. The Chinese adhere to their calendars for their New Year's, but yes. still the Gregorian is the most common one. The third calendar, which is very common, uh, particularly within the Islamic world, is the Hijri cam- uh, Islamic Hijri calendar. Uh, can you give us some background to that calendar, how it came about? Uh, yep. And it's still being used because we, we go by our Ramadan months and Eid months and dates, etc. from that as well, most of the Islamic world, which is nearly half the world. Yes, we, we, we still use that. And um, like I was saying, the, there are many other the, the religious uh, denominations and religions as a whole who use their own calendars. So and just before we go on to the Muslim calendar, uh, and you were discussing about uh, the, the rights of women, mm. uh, even now on the province of Mount Athos in Greece, which is supposed to be an autonomous province in Greece, right. they they never adopted the Gregorian calendar. They still go by the Julian calendar. Oh, I yeah? see. That remains supreme. Uh, the, the province is made up from of 20 orthodox monasteries and entry is forbidden on the island to women oh <laughs> so don't, you don't need to go to afghanistan or Iran. you can <laughs> to, find it to be subjugated <laughs> yes, in, in the heart of europe yes yeah, <laughs> yeah these the sort of uh, anomalies yeah, happen of absolutely yeah. uh, and so moving so, on to the islamic yeah, calendar the islamic calendar yes uh, i mean very very basic that uh, the arabs always uh, had a uh, had a, a lunar calendar uh, which was uh, pre- adopt, used uh, prevalent at the used at the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, four of these months was considered sacred, where there was no fighting permitted, but uh, the, there was no f- uh, control over uh, who was uh, would organize do the organization of these months. So they would just uh, decide on a whim to change the month or say, well, we'll fight this month, we won't fight this month. And uh, But in the Quran, it's clearly uh, mentioned that, uh, you know, this is all wrong, that uh, you should uh, respect the months which are supposed to be uh, reserved for... Uh, for pilgrimages or, 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 or worship. Yes, and so, hmm. so that's, that's the, the basis of the, of the Islamic calendar. But the, the Islamic calendar basically starts from the time of the of, of the, uh, the the flight from Mecca to Medina, the Hijra. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it was not in the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu but in the time of Hazrat Umar, uh, because the empire had spread so far and a lot of administration, uh, extensive administration was being carried in various territories. 
one of the administrators wrote to Azizuma saying that, uh, you know, some of the information, the instructions we received, we can't tell which date or which which was first or which came later. Mm. And this is one this is one of the stories which, uh, which, which, which there may have been many many other reasons, but then it was decided that uh, uh, a former proper Muslim calendar, Islamic calendar, would be would be devised. And Hazrat Umar, I think, uh, decided that uh, the Hijra, or perhaps with uh, with uh, uh, ask you with a uh, uh, consultation from other senior members of the of the of the, of the Muslims, uh, decided that uh, the most uh, important uh, feature or the more incident in the time of in the early in early Islam was the Hijra. And that's where the calendar should start from. And this year, I think it's for the, the month of Hijra falls in May. Uh, so that's how the the Islamic calendar started. So it's, uh, it's based on lunar calendar. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, as you said before, it allows change of the seasons. Uh, so it 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 it. it uh, so the, the Hajj doesn't fall in the same season every year. Mm-hmm. It uh, facilitates those people who come from different countries. It does. Yes. It, so, yes. Uh, yeah. Same with Ramadan, that the people in the hot climates don't have to. Uh, if it was fixed, yeah. then people of uh, living in the hot countries would be forever burdened with the very long, hot, on, difficult on the same Ramadan. Time, yes. Yeah, while uh, people in other parts, of the opposite part of the world, yes. would be just having easy Ramadans like we do when Christmas comes around mm-hmm. and Ramadan yes. is in that month. Yeah. Uh, some of the key months of uh, the Islamic calendar. Uh, can you any significant months that the, that that we must uh, bear in mind within the Islamic calendar? Well, basically, it's, uh, the, the 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 Hajj is the main, uh, Ramadan is the main one, and mm-hmm. that, and then for thereafter that the uh, Hajj Muharram is where the the month starts. Right. Okay. Yeah, because uh, yeah, the, the the year starts. Yes. Uh, so, so, so there, there's twelve months. Muharram being the first one. Uh, Ramadan, which month is that according to the Islamic calendar? Sir, I'm not uh, quite sure which which month that falls in, but believe uh, um, ninth month is it normally? Ninth month is what I thought. But, yes. uh, tenth, tenth is yes, yeah. Tenth is Muharram, isn't it? So no, mm-hmm. Muharram is the first. The, 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 the yeah, yes. Ramadan is the ninth month. And Hajj, Hajj is the yes. Yeah, and Hajj is the twelfth month, I think. Uh, two months Hijjah, later, yes. yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, uh, Hijjah is the is the is the is the eleventh and the Muharram uh, is the twelfth and Muharram is a uh, is the start is okay. the first. Yes. What about the Amni Muslim community? I look I, when I have their uh, calendars, I see the Gregorian calendar on it. I see the Hijri calendar on it, and I also see the Hijri Shamsi calendar. Can you elaborate that a little bit? Yes, this is uh, the idea of uh, Hazrat uh, Mirza uh, Bashir bin Mahmud Ahmad, the second Khalifa of the Amdiya Muslim community. Hmm. Uh, uh, may Allah be pleased with him. Um, uh, he's decided that uh, we, we should align, uh, have a calendar which uh, relates to the solar calendar as well. Um, but uh, the, the starting point again, uh, it should be based on the, the Hijra. So 2000 AD, for example, translates into 1379. Um, and so that is, uh, and each month in the calendar is named after an important event. So there are 12 months re- relating to the 12 months of the Gregorian calendar. 
Uh, each month named is, after, uh, is named after an important event that occurred in the history of Islam. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, the time frame in these months is the same as the Christian calendar. Right. Um, so, Sula, so January, this is, uh, is, is, uh, is, is, uh, is named such because it's, uh, Sula means peace, and this was when Sula Hudabia was signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have Tablig in February, we have Aman, protection in March, Shahadat in April, Hijra, migration in May, so uh, Isan, benevolence in June, Wafa, which means loyalty, July, Zahur, appearance in August, Tabuk, the Battle of Tabuk was fought in September, Right. Ikha, brotherhood yeah. uh, in October, Nabuvat, uh, I assume that, uh, that's when the Holy Prophet received, received the revelation, the revelation yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fatah victory December when when Mecca was was uh, mm-hmm. was conquered. So these are the twelve months which the Ahmadiyya Muslim community sure. uh, we 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 uh, have uh, so, you, we we use as well. It's a good reminder of the various occasions uh, when key aspects of Islam took place as well. So it reminds yes. us of that as well. So that that's what that was for. Uh, New Year is often, uh, Dr. Fried, celebrated in various ways. Me and Walid were discussing this. Drinking and partying has become synonymous. Uh, synonymous with uh, with New Year's parties all over the world, really. Uh, even in some Islamic countries, you see this similar thing going on. Uh, let me close with uh, a few words of uh, uh, advice from the fourth caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ahmad Nelabi's <coughs> helper, uh, <coughs> his guide. Uh, this is what he had to say. Uh, uh, Dr. Free, thank you very much for sharing your uh, views, uh, sharing your knowledge on the various calendars and enlightening us with that. So I'm going to close with uh, this uh, few words from Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad. Every year, I remind the Jamaat to go through that self-inspection and self-criticism and exploration of your own inner thoughts and things and find out how far you have advanced in the direction of God or receded from that height which you had gained earlier. So that is the reason why we must look at the years as they pass by. Are we really gaining some distance with these milestones, with reference to these milestones? or we are losing whatever journey we had made earlier. So that is the most important thing, which was, must be born at the time of the joint of the years. The years as they pass, they in themselves mean nothing. Only they mean something in relation to the people who have gone through that period. And they are neither slow nor fast. It also is a matter of human perspective. Years, in some cases, pass so rapidly that a year goes and another comes, and another year comes and another goes, and so on and so forth. They seem moving bumper to bumper, like a crowded street, where cars stand or move bumper to bumper. But uh, those who waste their time, for them the years just do not pass. Those who idle their time away, they have to wait for every day to begin and to end purposelessly. 
then there are those who spend their days in pursuit of luxuries. Their time also moves faster and their days end more quickly. But those who, there are those who spend their time in occupation of good things, but they are not well versed or well acquainted with goodness. So goodness seems to be boring to them. So there are types which decide what sort of year has passed in relation to each person. That was Hazamiz Atai Ramat, uh, some good guidance, uh, mm -hmm. advice, mm -hmm. uh, and bringing things to reality, yes. you know, what we are here for. Mm. And it's a, as he says, it's a good time to make self-assessments, mm. um, as we do during Ramadan as well, but mm. New Year's is a good time, and attracting to goodness needs mm. to be developed, I mm. think is what he was saying. Very refreshing to hear that uh, when we look at what's been happening uh, or, uh, as reported on our TV screens with fireworks and dancing mm. and frivolity. Mm. I mean, this really puts uh, things into its proper perspective, doesn't it? It does, and, and it, it, it puts you instead for the long-term mm. uh, development of yourself, mm. uh, whereas a party and a frivolity of dancing and drinking mm. will, is, is, a, is a momentarily yeah. enjoyment of a few hours, yeah. and that's, uh, yeah. that's about it. Mostly led afterwards by overhangs and hangovers, oh, yes. etc., mm. and, and uh, actions which you might regret later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's move on to the last segment of the show, which is the Sports Review. Weekend World. <coughs> sports Review. Direct to the Brazil's outgoing president, Jair Bolsonaro, has declared three days of national mourning to mark the death of the global soccer icon known as Pelé. He was 82 years old. Born Edson Arantes do Nascimento, Pelé was an Afro-Brazilian star in a country where Afro-Brazilians have long faced discrimination and racism. He grew up poor in the Brazilian state of Minas Gerais, where he famously played barefoot soccer with a ball made of rags stuffed into a sock. He was just 17 years old when he led Brazil to its first World Cup title in 1958, becoming the youngest player to score in a World Cup, and ultimately won two more titles with Brazil, three World Cup titles, more than any other player in history. This is Pele explaining how he got his nickname. I fight in college with the, the kids because, no, my name is Edson, they call me Pele. I got two days suspended in the school. Then everybody in school, all the kids start to call me Pele. I hate that time. <laughs> Today I love, of course. Now I love because, uh, I don't know, God gave it to me. Short name, easy to pronounce it. Any language you can remember, Pele. Because uh, my name is Edson Arantes do Nascimento. This is hard to remember, no? <laughs> well, Heath, I always remember him, Edson Arantes do Nascimento. Always, sure. yeah, I was a great fan of his. 1970 yeah. was my first World Cup. 
and lingering memory of it. Although I remember a little bit of 1966, but mm. Pele was the World Cup for me of yes. 1970. And yeah. to me, he's still the greatest. I know. We were both at school, I remember. Yes. And you introduced me to Pele. Is that right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> and I remember Edson Arantes de la de Nascimento after I learned it from you. <laughs> so you're my teacher. <laughs> well, my teacher uh, was... Mr. Grinstead. Well, no, no, in terms of Pele, mm. uh, were my brothers. Oh, okay. uh, and one of them is joining us, Ashadam Dimit right. Shahid Khan. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, well, yeah, my my love of uh, Pele began with uh, with my brothers being big fans of Brazil. Ashad, you, you were one of them, and uh, Shahid, I remember you being in Gillingham also. All of you used to watch the Brazil games. Uh, it was sad news about the death uh, on Thursday uh, <coughs> of Edson Arantes do Nascimento. Um, first of all, Shahid, just very quickly, uh, your thoughts and abiding memories of the great man. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I actually first came to know him in the 1966 World Cup when a lot was expected from him hmm. uh, after the two victories that Brazil had in 58 and 62 and everything everything was, uh, World Cup was around him when it came to England in 1966. But he was actually, that was a shadow himself in that 96 and I never knew that he would come back in the way that he did in 1970. So my abiding memories as far as con is concerned, he was a legendary player, no doubt about it, and the statistics are just phenomenal. One cannot uh, overlook those uh, anyway. Mm. And also, just as a matter of fact, just not on the field, but off the field, he, as an ambassador for football, I think there hasn't been anybody in, as great as him, and obviously put him in the league of Muhammad Ali in boxing. Mm. So that's how I remember it. Uh, I think you spot on there that Muhammad Ali and uh, Pele, probably the most famous renowned throughout the world, and both black at, at that, uh, overcoming a lot of racism to confront it. Ashad, what was your abiding memory of Pele? Well, Salakam, I think oh. uh, Shai uh, pointed out that uh, we were all aware in, when we were in Kenya in 58 and 62 about him, and a lot was expected in 1966. Mm. But I think he was hacked down, brutally, you know, tackled in many, uh, and he was he had to withdraw from the World Cup. Uh, so when he came back, when he did in 1970, it was amazing. I remember the abiding memory when they're showing the training of the Brazilian team. And Pele was training like a new a new, a new player. Mm. You know, he didn't revel in his uh, glory that he's the greatest player, but he trained like any other player. That was the key to a player's greatness, that you never on your laurels and you're always there you have to train to be the best and you have to keep at the top absolutely so for me that has been uh, and the way he performed i mean some of those memories especially those where he missed those goals are still talked about by by uh, journalists sports journalists all over the world indeed we, we, and, and we'll come to more on pele in a minute i just want to catch up a little bit on the world cup itself, and and there's a debate about Messi being the greatest, etc. We'll come to that. But the Qatar World Cup, both of you, uh, has come uh, has become, uh, is now renowned, is, is, sorry, accepted as the most successful, uh, uh, especially after the exciting final between Argentina and France, a worthy final uh, to a very successful World Cup, despite the early criticisms, mainly by the European nations, unfortunately. Humble pie to be eaten, uh, as many senior officials around the world calling it the most successful World Cup, gentlemen. Humble pie to be eaten by the Western nations about the criticism of Qatar. 
Shai? I think so. I, I think definitely. I mean, this was the case. I mean, the fact that for me, I mean, the opening ceremony not to be televised in the mm. UK, I mean, the home of so-called football and that, and the prejudice that was against uh, Qatar from right from the beginning since they got this tournament, and then to be put at this stage, uh, the highlighting the so forth, the off-the-field events and so forth, and but uh, football actually took center stage, and I'm glad that everything. By the way, I was on a flight back from uh, Spain at the time when the um, uh, Argentina tuned it up, and I thought the game was all over. <laughs> but then the twist that when I got off, unfortunately, well, not for, unfortunately, but yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, every game actually mattered, and the way I mean, the excitement of the games uh, were absolutely phenomenal in mm. that sense, and. I think nobody can say that on the field itself. That's not. I mean, it was the best tournament ever for me. And I mean, people have seen more tournaments than me. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the same. And even all the gloss being taken off, I think they just couldn't uh, hack the fact that this was the most successful tournament ever. Ashad, you remember the '70 World Cup? How does this compare to that? Uh, as good as that, or better? Well, I think it's all relative to uh, the times. True. Uh, things have changed. I think with a new FIFA president, I think he is a, to coin a phrase, a godsend, because he is unbiased and he is bringing the the World Cup as it should be known, a World Cup, not just South Americans mm. and Europeans. Now we have Africans, we have Asian countries, we have uh, the Saudi Saudi countries. Now is a proper World Cup, and I think it's thanks to this organization mm. that's bringing this to the fore. Yeah. But the 70 World Cup, I mean, I, I remember it was the first, they say, it was the first color to be uh, shown, but I think we were still watching it in black and white. We were, I remember in, in, in very well in our front room, yes. All black and white TV, but we, we, it was the best World Cup ever you could imagine. I mean, you know, just watching these, uh, um, you know, when you do come to the uh, the discussion of the greatest ever, I'm not, I've got my grandkids here who actually were at the World Cup mm. in Qatar with my elder son, Wakar, and my other younger son, Mubarak, and my two grandsons. Uh, and they just love the atmosphere, the, the camaraderie between the supporters. It was unique. Nothing like you fear when you go to a football, football match in Europe somewhere. This was something that they reveled in. Even when they, I think they watched four live games, including Brazil. But they also watched other games in a, in a group on, on the screen. Mm. So it was a this it was a my actually my grandson, uh, my my son caught him, well not caught him. He saw him crying a lot in his prayers, and he, after he finished, he said, "Why are you crying?" He said, "I'm thanking God Almighty mm. for giving me this opportunity to, to come and see my favorite sport, mm. and be here to see the, the world's top stars." And and so, that and, and that what Qatar did to a lot of people. Yes, I think it's changed the views of so many hardened um, uh, Europeans who just thought that you know we were the best and that got nothing to learn. Mm. I think this is the uh, the um, lesson that Ramsey did not learn after they won the '66 World Cup. He said we got nothing to learn from the yes, from the South, South Americans, Americans, and they got they come up in 1970. Mm, absolutely. I remember that uh, interview with uh, mm. Ramsey myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our listeners, uh, Shahid is an ex-international hockey player and now uh, an international journalist. Ashad was the national secretary for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well as the youth organization, the Khudam al UK. 
so both, uh, thank you very much for joining me uh, and, and discussing this. Coming back to now to uh, the sad demise of Pele, it was inevitable. He was uh, the the writings were on the wall. Uh, is that uh, not right, Relief? And uh, so mm. the shock wasn't the same as as it was for Maradona when he died. Mm. Uh, but uh, a sad day for his family, supporters around the world. But uh, but what legacy has Pele left, uh, Ashit? Well, I was interesting reading up uh, on Pele. Uh, apparently, his mother is still alive, and she's a hundred. She is, yes, that's right. And looked after by his sister now. Uh, for me. Uh, the legacy is uh, what you leave behind, the memories, not just as a footballer, as a sportsman, but as a human being. Mm. We see all the other top stars. They have their, you know, you know, don't uh, badmouth anybody, but even we had Maradona, he had his problems. We had best, he was one of the best players ever. He had a lot of problems. But Pele was... You know, uh, was really, really a clean player. As Chahid pointed out, he was the first, he was a former minister of sports for Brazil and was an ambassador for sports. This is going something for most of the players uh, are not like this. So for me, I have watched Pele live. I watched it in the late 70s when he'd retired from international football. And I went to see Fulham play Santos at Craven Cottage. Pele was playing with Edu, with Carlos Alberto, and Fulham had Bobby Moore, Alan Mullery in this team. So, but obviously Santos won and Pele scored a, a penalty, you know, wrong-footing the goalkeeper as he normally does. But watching him live and having been in that position to have seen him and the latest stars of the modern age, I think I'm in a better position to judge who is the greatest ever. As as many of us are, <laughs> because <laughs> people from who have seen the 1970 World Cup onwards, most of them hold Pele above any of the other players. Both as as you've rightly said, not just on the pitch and on the pitch. If you look at some of his videos, he has done what modern players are doing today. So he was doing it back in 1970. Yes, I said there's one thing I think we should add: being being on watch of Islam. And I think most, most of our audiences are Ahmadi Muslim. If being Ahmadi Muslim, we have to be more vigilant about assessing somebody's quality of, of their greatness in their profession. Mm. We have to look at the overall picture, not just the specific sports, but the overall behavior. Mm. We have to be very judgmental on that. And I think Pele, you know, talking by, the, uh, uh, by what you hear on the, on, on the social, you know, on the TV in the last few days from ex journalists there was one um, one uh, southern South American correspondent from from England he was flowing with remarks he said when Pele started playing we started watching football mm. and that's the best legacy anybody could leave about their sport yeah, I think that was Tim Vickery possibly Tim Vickery yeah. actually yeah. Yeah. you wanted to ask some questions no I just uh, no I wanted to just find out from Shahid whether um, he, whether he actually watched uh, Pele play and Who's the best player that you watch play? Uh, to be honest with you, I, I think the fact that you, Arshad mentioned about this live game, mm. I'm grateful to Arshad. I must mention, I just recall now my jogging, my memory going back. I think he took me to that match. Of, but <laughs> he also is responsible for me seeing Muhammad Ali in live live as well. At the Apollo. And that was an, 
<laughs> and that wasn't in the boxing ring. No. It was actually in Victoria uh, yeah. uh, when he did the show. Victoria anyway, Theatre, yes. Yeah. I, I was, I was yes, with yes. you that day, boys. <laughs> oh, indeed. Absolutely. I think I'm grateful for Aisha having done that. Otherwise, as regards watching him live, I, apart from that game, I don't think I went to the Fulham United, but I can't recall. But the only time I saw him live was the fact that uh, I think one of my sons was having one of his books autographed, uh, autobiography book being signed in, I think, in Oxford Street or whatever. Uh, so that was the only time I saw him. As far as watching and uh, live football, I haven't that watched that many games live at international level, um, football-wise. But I did watch uh, Brazil against uh, uh, Portugal at the Emirates a few years back. And after the game, as Arshad has mentioned, I think in that game... Um, uh, uh, Ronaldo was substituted and he had actually changed himself and everything else. But anyway, they, that, leave aside that. But as far as watching players and to be see who the greatest is, I said I think has alluded to the fact that as a wholesome person, one has to look in terms of how greatness is. Mm. In terms of uh, actual greatness, uh, with regard to who who it was, the era, like I has mentioned, has changed. And the, the, the football is a totally different game to press what it was in 1958 and 62 and so forth. The ball is different. The game is the speed of the game. Mm. The pitches are different. Uh, so a lot of th- things have changed. It's much faster than it was. Uh, so, and in terms of actually greatness, sometimes it's measured by the number of goals that one has scored. And that, I think, is not quite right. I mean, anybody would say that one has to decide as to each position, perhaps. Uh, but I would say, being a team sport, one has to look into the fact that how they bring the other players into play and how they mm. get the actual victory in the end. Mm. So in terms of that, I mean, obviously, goal scoring is one factor, obviously, but they do sometimes allude to the fact that the other players are also responsible for assists and this, that, the other. Yeah, so, that's a very good point. I, I think so, yeah. So hockey or any team sport for that matter, whereas individually sport, individual sports, you can actually say who is the greatest. Pele, the team sport, I think, is difficult to say. Yeah. Pele was an outstanding, skillful player, yet he was a team player as well, a total team player, because the 70 team... We if, you, if, if, you, Arsene, if you recall, one of the commentators on the, on the recent program said, he had played in every position for Brazil, <laughs> even mm. in goal. Mm. He said he was the best goalkeeper they ever had, even though he was shorter in height in, than yeah. other goalkeepers. Mm. But I, I would like mm. to add on to what Shai was saying. I have, in the 70s, you know, with my my uh, family friend, Nasser Lohan, we used to go to a lot of the London London League uh, club. And I've watched all the, the London League clubs, mm. Tottenham, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, you name it, Fulham. I watched all the top players at that time, Martin Shearer, you know, you name it. So I watched the, you know, because my my hockey, my game was hockey like Shahid. So to understand football, you have to watch it live because we are not we, we played. I think me and Shahid both played for Kent Tigers, if you remember. Oh yeah, I remember in, in that. Well. <laughs> in goal. But that was different uh, because it wasn't really our sport. Our sport was hockey. But watching football and watching the top stars mm. and how they train and how they, how they play, what at club level and international. That determines how truly great the players are. Sure. Let, let me bring in a, a clip here of Henry Winter, the chief editor, sports editor of the Times. This is what he said upon uh, on, on Pele. He was he was great fun to be around. I was fortunate to to interview him three times, and uh, he was he was just fun. And I mean, you know, you see him winning the World Cup. I mean, people talk about the greatest player of all time, 
and Messi's performance in the in the recent World Cup final and Maradona in in '86. But Pele has to be the greatest player of all time, the greatest footballer of all time, because of the three World Cups, because of the 77 goals for, for Brazil, because of what he achieved, obviously, with, with one club. Sadly, he didn't come to, to, to Europe. But also, Pele was so much more than the greatest player and the greatest team. I mean, he stood out in that fantastic 1970 team, Rivellino and all those great players, set up that wonderful final goal for, for Carlos Alberto. Mm. But he was so much more than that. He was a very sporting individual. I mean, some of the greatest moments of his career is when he didn't actually score. You know, the run around on the Czechoslovakian goalkeeper, oh. then when Gordon Banks made that incredible save, the save of the century, somehow clawing... Um, Pele's downward header over the bar in, in 1970. And at the end of that game, there was respect, there was friendship, there was kinship. And when Gordon Banks passed away in 2019, Pele issued a, just a very eloquent, very emotional, very respectful tribute on Facebook to Gordon Banks, his friend, as he calls I think that's a good summary. Don't you, yeah. don't you agree, gentlemen? I, I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I think the other thing that we must remember, that Pele at the time was surrounded by absolutely fantastic players. I mean, not just one or two, like in today's world, Messi, Neymar, uh, Ronaldo, and then maybe Benzema or one or two others. But in, in his time, there were a plethora of players who were absolutely brilliant. You know, the whole of the Brazilian team, you could say, were. And yet Pele out, outshined all of them. Beckenbauer was around, Cruyff was around, but he was outshining all of them. I, I think one of the commentators did hit the nail on the head when he said, when you discuss about the greatest of all time, you discuss all the other players and just leave Pele at the top. Shahid, last words on Pele for you. I think so. I think that uh, Henry Winter, whom I shared this press room, by the way, and a great fellow as well in that sense as well, but uh, I think he has hit the nail on that, that it it was just not just his playing ability and his records and the rest of it, and his legacy continues after that, and that's really... Uh, like, I, I would like, Archer did point out the fact about the other players having at certain times having difficulties off the pitch as well. Mm. And that's something you never came to know about, Pele. And uh, by the grace of Allah, I'm glad, I'm hope that uh, some of the other greater players in other sports as well follow that example. Indeed. Uh, Shai, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Shai, I just want to ask you one more question from you. Yeah. Uh, Pakistan. Uh, what's going on there? They, they lost 3-0 to Pakistan. They nearly lost to, to, to England on their home ground. Something's not right there, is there? I think you're asking the wrong person. No, Shahid, so I was going to ask Shahid. <laughs> no, I think he was the right person. I have no interest in cricket. My cricket interest has been waning, to be honest with you, when you watch some of these matches recently. Not because of Pakistan, but also generally. Yes. But one thing I did mention, which you mentioned about uh, the dismal performance, let's not take anything away from England. They are no. a phenomenal side. I mm. mean, not just against Pakistan, but generally. And one thing that the new coach and the captain, the way they're approaching test cricket, as I said before, that they've actually changed the whole uh, lookout for cricket. And I'm glad that that cricket is in that. It is, Having yeah. said that, I mean, even that last match against uh, New Zealand when they drew Pakistan, well, Ten seconds. even when they win the ascendancy, there was nobody in the ground. I mean, let's yeah, be honest, yeah. <laughs> who are they playing yeah. cricket for? And sure. this is just, uh, I think, hitting the nail on that, that test cricket needs a whole Thank- new... Sorry, Shahid, the, the time is up. Uh, thank you very much, thank gentlemen, you. and thank you to our listeners. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.